You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Good morning. It's good to be with you uh, this morning. Our scripture lesson today comes from Colossians, the second chapter, beginning with the sixth verse. It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. As you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Watch out that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by the removal of the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were raised, uh, and when you were dead in trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food or drink or of observing festivals, new moons or Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what is to come, but the body belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, uh, initiatory visions, puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking and not holding fast to the head for whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with a growth that is from God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. My goodness, there's a lot packed away in just these few verses of Colossians. And yesterday afternoon, I had an opportunity to kind of work through the sermon. And when I'm working through the sermon, when I'm debating something in my own mind, uh, I tend to call my dad, uh, as I often do, to kind of just shoot the sermon across his bow to see if it makes sense. Uh, Because like my my dad is like my own pocket theologian. Like, does this make sense? Are you following me? So I I called him. I said, I I had a a perfect metaphor for what all this, because Colossians in this text, in short, is saying, hey, rest on what you've learned what you have received. And what the author of Colossians means is what I taught you, the right belief, the right doctrine. Hold on to that thought and don't be tempted by human tradition. Do not be tethered by festivals.
Come on to the edge of the pool. Do not be tethered thinking that you have to stay in the shallow end or in the kiddie pool. And all of this was working out to be a perfect metaphor. Playing games with one another uh, uh, at, at the pool because next week, Uh, We start a new worship series called The Games We Play, which is about neighborhood games and board games and online gaming. But really, really it's about the games that we play with each other in order to outdo one another. You know, things that are rooted in pride and prestige and honor, those kinds of things. So perfect, perfect metaphor for all these things. You don't need to be tethered, right? Um, And and, and all you need to do in in the immortal words of Dory from Finding Nemo, just keep swimming, right? Just keep swimming. Just enjoy swimming. When we swim in the middle of the pool, we begin to discover how fun it is to be there. Now, now pools, pools have rules, don't they? Pools have rules. It wouldn't be much fun without some kind of... So, for example, for example, is it okay to run along the edge of the pool? Well, I guess you can, but you may slip, you may hurt yourself, you may hurt someone else. In our household, we, we, we have what's called walking feet. Do you have walking feet in your household? If you say don't run, kids don't hear the don't part. So we have walking feet, right? So you have to walk along the side uh, of the pool. Pools have rules. Rules are important to keep us safe and to create fairness and to where my rights end and your begin, yours begin. But, but if there's an emergency... If someone needs assistance, you should risk running, right? Don't say, well, I know that they're drowning. can go too far. So you go to the pool and says, don't run, right? Well, what happens if you do? Do you get a warning the first time? What happens if you do it again? Maybe you have to sit out for five minutes. What happens if you do it a third time? Like, do you get kicked out of the pool? And what happens if the lifeguard, or really the watchdog, the watchdog in the tower with the, the whistle, what happens if someone's running and the lifeguard doesn't see it? Like, are you supposed to like report them? And if you if you report them, do you get like a credit on your account? Like, how does all of this work? And sometimes, if that's what we spend our time at the pool doing, what happens? We forget the joy of swimming, right? We forget that the point of being at the pool is to have fun and to swim and to treat one another with respect. So I went on describing what I thought was the perfect metaphor for explaining Colossians, this connection between walking feet and discipleship, our shared lives together. The idea that the pool is like the church and inside the four walls of the pool, you learn how to swim and you learn how to treat people with respect so that outside of the pool, if you find yourself like at the beach, in the ocean, like you know how to swim and you still know these things, right?
how they look and how smart they are and what others think of them. And then as grown-ups, that just gets worse because you start thinking about money and power and prestige and all these things. We have to, in other words, we have to be reminded of our shared lives in Christ. We have to be reminded of that kindness gene that somewhere along the lines we lost. And this is what I told my dad. I said, it's just like, it's just like swimming, dad. It's the And I said, yeah, well, Dad, it's, it's curious to me too, right? Because somewhere along the line through like some, through evolutionary biology, like we should have gained an innate like walking. Like many of us, we can walk, you know, around the age of one or whatever. We should all be able to swim because if you, if you fall out of the tree and you drown or are eaten by something, you don't have babies. So if you fall out of the tree and you can swim away, like you have babies and those babies over time can learn how to swim. And like, isn't it curious that we have to learn how to swim? You think we would have that innate ability. What are you talking about? I, I, so, okay, okay, dad, I need you to be more specific. What, what, what are you talking about in terms of learning how to swim? We don't forget how to swim and then have to relearn it. Of course we do, dad. That's common knowledge. Well, I must have missed that day in common knowledge school. And at that point, I knew, here we go. Here we go. This is a character flaw of raw men in particular. And if you're in leadership at the church or if you're a staff member, you'll understand this. Raw men have to be right. So when I'm saying one thing and my dad is saying another, like, you know we're about to hit Google and we're about to start looking up, looking up articles and we're going to figure out who is right and who is wrong. So I start talking about this like evolutionary thing and like we're on the, on, the, on the tree and like we should be able to swim and how curious it is that we have to relearn to swim. And he says, true, true, but, and I said, I, I had to learn how to swim. I said, do you not remember? Like we had a fishing camp in Bay St. Louis and when I was around six years old, I fell into the bayou and my dad had to go and save my life. Or as I, when I tell a story, I say, my dad could only see the eyes of me. My dad could only see the eyes of me. And my dad, I said, dad, I had to learn how to swim. And he goes, well, I didn't have to learn how to swim. Son, are you suggesting that I'm higher on the evolutionary tree than you? Oh, son, it's on like Donkey Kong at this point. Like we're, we're just throwing each other under the bus at this point. He goes, where, where are you getting your information from, son? I'm like, well, dad, I didn't read a peer review article. It's just, you you know this, like kids are born, they're able to swim and then they forget how to swim and they can learn how to swim again. So he's like flipping through like National Geographic's like I'm Googling like WebMD to see if I like, I'm telling the truth or not. Because one of us is right and the other one has to be wrong. So I said, look, look here, dad. And I sent him a link. 
I said, look, Dad, here it is. When, when children are born, they can flip over up to like six months. They flip over, and their nose can be held above water for a limited time, and there you go. But as they grow, they lose that ability and then have to learn how to swim. He goes, son, that's not swimming. That's called being buoyant. He goes, have you seen a baby's head? He goes, because of the way that they're built, they're buoyant. And of course they flip over. Have you seen a kid's belly? Of course they flip over. It's just how they're built. That's not swimming. It's called physics and buoyancy. Now, thankfully, interestingly enough, and the power of the Holy Spirit is such a curious, the Holy Spirit is such a curious thing. So here I am, like, pulling my, pulling my hair out, trying to figure out, like, how to make this work. But the conversation that we were having, the actual conversation that we were having about the terrible metaphor was actually more to the point of what Colossians is actually trying to say. I had one assumption of what it meant to swim. I had to be taught how to swim, right? That was my experience. And I have a whole thing about swimming, right? And I, I know I've talked about this before. Swimming is not fun for me. I don't enjoy it. I don't like being wet, like at all. I know some of you like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. That's not me. I don't like God-made umbrellas for a reason, right? Um, I don't swim where my feet don't touch because I prefer not to be food for something, right? And it all stems, when I was a kid, uh, I had terrible ears, and I, I get ear infections all the time. So when I was a kid, I had to wear earplugs and a swim cap. And I was not the most svelte of children. So imagine the fat kid with a swim cap at all the parties, right? My nickname in middle school was the manatee. They called me a manatee. And I thought of a, it was because I was, like, kind, you know, and friendly. No, it's because I looked like a flipping manatee, like, going through the... The waves, right? And for, thank you for all of your laughter. Like that leaves, that leaves a mark, right? So it, eventually you say, well, to hell with it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not swimming. I'm going to stay on the side. Like youth group, we went to the water park and I wore jeans because I knew I wasn't getting in. Water parks are gross. You're just swimming in other people's juices. You can be offended by that. You can be offended by that. It's just the truth. It's disgusting. But that's not my dad's story. My dad's story, he knew how to swim at a young age. Like, he had a diving board, and he was really comfortable with the water. So, he, so when we approach this, do we learn how to swim? Do we have to be taught how to swim? Like, we have different stories. And here's the problem, is that we assumed that one of us was correct, and the other was wrong. That's the assumption. Like when, when, you, when you take my, my kids, my kids, they all learned how to swim very, very differently. Isabel refused to put her head underwater. She clawed her way up her swimming instructor because she absolutely refused. Now, Anna Lee, on the other hand, she's like, step one, do this. Step two, do that. Step three. And like, that's why she's like really good at ballet and these kind of things. Very systematic. Do this, do that. Great swimmer. Lady Cecilia. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. 
she taught herself how to swim. Like, I don't need no teacher. Give me some water and some time. I will figure it out. Thank you very much. And then Robert is going to wear floaties until he's 30. Right? So all of them, all of them have a very different story. Same parents, same house, same place of worship. And they look at the world and interact in the world very, very differently. Which one of them is right? In terms of, if you were to ask them, do you have to learn how to swim? How would they answer that question? All of them would answer it differently. The problem is we approach that assuming that one of them is right and the other three are somehow wrong. When we look at differences like these, what we tend to do is we tend to create rules in order to build a consensus around one common story. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? When you go to the pool, you have to have rules, right? It's a shortcut so that we don't have to be constantly improvising for everything. For example, uh, it, but, but there's a limit. <laughs> there's a limit. For example, if we go to the neighborhood pool, we have a neighborhood pool, and what if the sign says, children can swim unaccompanied if they've had swim lessons? Like, that would work for Anna Lee. That would not work for Cecilia, because Cecilia is probably a better swimmer than Annie is, but she never had lessons, right? Or conversely, what if it said, like, swim at your own risk, right? Just got, like, you're the parent saying, like, well, I mean, if they're running on the edge of the pool, he'll fall down. He'll only do it once, right? Why am I going to teach him and, like, watchdog him? It's like, you know, you touch a, sto- you, you touch a hot stove once and only once, right? Why do I need to protect him? Let, let them learn. So there has to be this balance. Look, being in a community of faith, being in a community of faith is an exercise of grace. Or at least it should be. Yes, there's doctrine and yes, there's rules to help funnel our thoughts and our understandings, but sometimes we like to add more rules than we need to in order to form a place of like-minded people. Like everyone learns how to swim in the same way so that we have something to talk about and we have a shared experience. The only problem is that's not the gospel, (laughs) to be with like-minded people. At least that's not what Jesus seemed to want to accomplish when he was with the disciples, when he was with Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector and the sons of thunder, James and John, and, and Peter and Judas. Being in a community of faith is an exercise in grace. Our scripture lesson starts with, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Well, what is it then that they were taught? Rely on what you have been taught about Jesus. Fun fact, all of the letters in the New Testament, all the Colossians, Romans, 1 Thessalonians, all of those letters predate the Gospels, or at least when the Gospels were written down. And we know that because Paul never quotes the Gospel of John. Paul never says, as Jesus did in the feeding of the 5,000, right? So all of these letters were written down before the Gospels were written down, detailing the life of So what exactly were they taught? 
about Jesus? Well, in Colossians and also in Philippians, we have hymns that have been recorded. There's what's called the Christ Hymn of Colossians. So there were liturgies running around. There were oral traditions running around. And two of them have been preserved. In Colossians, at the beginning, this is what it says. And these are the essentials of what the author of Colossians wanted the community to know. What do you need to believe? What was passed on? This. Christ is in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And not only that, this is the important part, and through him God was pleased to reconcile all things. All things. I looked up all in the Greek, in the original Greek. Do you know what all means? It means all. (laughs) There's no other way to slice that word. He was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of of his cross. There's a lot that is packed away in there, but there's also a lot that isn't. Like, are you supposed to have Hawaiian bread for communion, right? Uh, Can you wear a t-shirt to preach in, right? There are all these things that are not included in there. The same is true for the Philippians hymn. So this is the Christ hymn from Philippians. It says, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, a human, uh, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him even more highly and gave him the name that is above every name so that the name given to Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In other words, these two hymns that have been rely on what you've been taught about Jesus. That is what they were taught about Jesus. That in Jesus, the fullness of God dwells and God reconciled all things in Christ. And because Jesus took the form of humility, he is exalted above all. That. That is what, hold on to that. Do we really think, do we really believe that that is enough? Can we live our lives as if we believe that all we do need passed on to us is the Colossians Christ hymn, is the Philippians hymn? Do we trust in that teaching? Or do we feel like we have to remain tethered to the side of the pool for stability because we think we're going to sink? Do we really believe 
that God's grace is enough. There's nothing wrong with holding on to the side of the pool. There's nothing wrong with being in the kiddie pool. There's nothing wrong with staying in the shallow end. But if we only stay in those places, if we feel that we are tethered, if we feel that we need lots of rules to bring us together, and that we need to add things to this Christ hymn from Philippians and Colossians, if we feel like we need these things, we are forgetting the joy of what it means to swim, to be in the middle of the pool. We lose in being equipped to help one another. In other words, if you have let go of the pool, if you knew how, if you know how to swim, if you can navigate through a pool and outside of a pool uh, for river quest, or you go to the beach and you're fine with the waves, then our calling as Christians is to walk with those who aren't. Not to, not to tell them, don't ever let go of the pool, you're not ready. No, why don't you swim with them and walk with them and reveal to them the Christ hymn that you are telling with your own life. Friends, we are not called to be watch guards, lifeguards, sitting in the ivory tower with a whistle, making sure that people don't run. We are, however, I think, legitimately in the word, in, in the actual name of the word, to be lifeguards, which means to swim with, to walk with, to equip one another, to have the courage to let go of the side of the pool, to have the courage to go into the deep, all you crazy people who swim without touching your feet. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. We went to the beach this summer, and like for 30 seconds, I was swimming where my feet don't touch. Sometimes it's big. Don't laugh at me. Sometimes you need baby steps to get there, but you keep going, right? Friends, if we hold one another in hope, faith, and love, we will not let you sink. We will not let you sink. So trust in what you have learned, that in Christ the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and God was pleased to reconcile all things through him. And because Christ took the form of a slave, he is exalted above all, and every knee should bend and every tongue should confess. Let us be lifeguards for one another. And then we'll rediscover the joy of swimming. (laughs) Whether or not that metaphor actually works or not. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.